Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Well, I am looking forward to seeing everybody next week. Uh, we're starting back with our services again next week. Obviously going to do things a lot different, going to ease back into things, take things slowly. We're going to have an early morning service at 8.30 instead of our regular 11 o'clock time. And so for anybody who's actually going to uh, make it out that early in the morning and, and come join us, I would ask that you would uh, park over in the side side of the church and come in through the annex door that fa- that has the paved walkway that faces uh, the water tower. And uh, we're going to use that door as we come in and out of the service um, starting next week. And so we're the reason we're having that, again, the reason we're having that early 8.30 service is so that we can get the sermon recorded and get it edited and posted, uh, processed online, uh, hopefully by 11 o'clock for all of our members who continue to join us online. So we're going to make sure that we, we do our best to get that posted at 11 o'clock so that you can continue to join us online um, and and I look forward to, to reaching out to you that way as well. And so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing some of your faces uh, next Sunday morning, bright and early. And I, I'll continue to, to reach out to, to everyone who continues to stay at home and join us online. Well, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. Father, I feel like I say it every time, but we thank you so much for your love for us. Father, throughout the scriptures from beginning to end, it's clear that it's your love for us that has driven you to do all that you have done. Father, that that you first created us and made us in your image. You brought us into existence. You gave us an opportunity to have life with you forever. And then when we rebelled and sinned against you, that you pursued us, you never gave up on us, and you sacrificed yourself in order to provide a way for us to be forgiven. And the scripture says it was all because of your love for us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for that love. And, Father, I pray that that love causes us to grow in our love for you. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word. And, Father, I pray that as we look at your word this next hour, that you would show us what it is that that the reason that you gave it to us, the reason that you told us all the things that you told us in your word. And, and, and I pray that you will use it to, to mold our lives and to shape us more into your image. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been journeying through the Bible and looking at, at how the kingdom of God is weaved throughout the scriptures from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation. And last week we looked at how Israel rejected God as their king and wanted an earthly king. And God uh, desired to be Israel's king. God was Israel's king. But, but they had, as a nation, as a whole, they didn't follow him as king. They didn't submit to him. They didn't live the way that he wanted them to live in his kingdom to represent him to the nations. And they ended up rejecting him as their king and asking for an earthly king. Um, and so God uh, chose to give them an earthly king and he chose to give them one that, that they would have picked, one that from outward appearances would make a great king. 
And so we're looking at that first and second king today. We're looking at Saul, King Saul and King David. So let's jump right in. So we see in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 says, They ran and got him from there. When he stood among the people, he stood a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. And so we see that Saul, who was the first king of Israel, the first earthly king of Israel, we see that Saul stood a head taller than everyone else. He was he was a a he looked to be like a strong giant warrior of a man. And he said that there is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people were grateful to have him selected as the king. And they all shouted, long live the king. But Saul didn't want to be king. Uh, So what God did, because God had called him as king, what God did is that he, he... He touched the hearts, the scripture says, that God touched the hearts of brave men, changed the hearts of brave men who went home with Saul to encourage and build him up and support him and give him exactly what Saul needed in order to to have the courage to go out into battle, to lead Israel in battle. And, and, And so God surrounded him with brave men by touching their hearts. And so what we see here is that when God calls us to something, whatever it is that God calls us to do, when God calls us to something, He is going to provide us with everything we need to be able to accomplish what He's called us to do. So if God has called us, and, and we know this is true, if God has called us to um, share the gospel with our, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, even though we, like Saul, may be afraid to start that conversation for whatever reason. Maybe we know that this person uh, is hostile towards the, the gospel or hostile towards the church, whatever the case may be. If we're afraid to do what we know God's called us to do, like Saul, we can look at the scriptures and see that God will give us everything that we need. And better than brave men surrounding us, God has actually given us the Holy Spirit within us. And so we need to be encouraged and realize that no matter what God calls us to do in life, He will give us what we need to accomplish what He's called us to do. But as we see in Saul's story, just because God gives us everything we need to be able to do what He's called us to do, it doesn't mean that we will. So we still have free will. We still have freedom of choice to obey or not obey. And even though God is going to make sure that we're never tempted more than we can handle, even though He's going to make sure that He has given us, uh, through the Holy Spirit, will give us the courage and and articulation and words and anything that we need to do what He's called us to do, we still have that choice to do it or not do it. And as we look at the story of Saul, we'll see that he failed to choose to obey God. So we see, and if we jump to, to chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, we read this. It says, He, being Saul, 
He waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. Just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked, What have you done? Saul answered, When I saw that the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought, The Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. So what we see here is Saul was afraid. Saul saw the, uh, the, an opposing army, even though God had, had promised to, to, to provide for Israel and to take care of Israel and, and to provide uh, safety um, against their enemies. Saul was afraid. And so when things didn't go the way that he thought they were going to go, um, when, when for whatever reason Samuel didn't show up at the time that he said he was going to show up, Saul, instead of continuing to, to, to be obedient to God, chose to be disobedient. Saul broke the commands of God. Saul, Saul sinned. He broke the laws of God by performing the sacrifice, which he was not allowed to do. Only the priest was allowed to perform the sacrifice to God. And so Saul did what he knew was not okay. He did what he knew was wrong. And he said the reason he did it is because he was afraid that the men were going to... We saw the men were starting to desert him, but he was afraid that he was going to lose this battle. He saw the enemy army had set up not too far away, and he saw that his men were were afraid and scared and they were starting to leave. And so Saul did the wrong thing. He did what he knew was wrong. He sinned in order to try to get the outcome that he wanted to achieve. And so this is something that we all fall, fall victim or pray to that we, we ourselves do the same thing that we will look at our situation and we'll think to ourselves that, uh, we can, can fix this, the problem. We can, we can come up with a solution, but we know that in order to do it, we must do what we know is wrong. And the pressure, sometimes the fear, sometimes the, the um, it, it could be greed, it could be all kinds of different things, but, but a lot of times we will give in and do the wrong thing trying to accomplish what we want to happen, to achieve a goal that we want to achieve. And the scripture says it's very clear that you should always be obedient to God. You should not sin to try to get some type of outcome. You should trust him. 
You should trust him and be obedient and, and face whatever consequences may come. And so it's, I want to just point out real quick two things. It said that Samuel said to Saul, it was at this time the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. So Saul was faced with a dilemma. And in this dilemma, he had to make a choice to do what was right or to do what was wrong. And so I've heard it said that faith is not real until it's tested. Faith is not really faith until it's been tested. In other words, until you've been in the situation where you've had to either trust or not trust, that before that you don't really know if that faith is real or if it's just lip service. But once put in the situation, the truth comes out. Do you really trust or do you not really trust? And so here we see Saul's, te- Saul's faith was tested and he, he, he failed the test. He did not trust God. He chose to sin. He chose not to do what he knew was right, what God wanted him to do. And so this is where we see that it was at this point that Samuel said, you know, if you had chosen in your heart to follow God and pursue after him and do what was right, no matter the consequences, to trust him with the consequences, but to choose to do what was right, then you would be, your kingdom would have been established forever. And so throughout the scriptures, we see that the the kingdom was given to the line of David and that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And we see throughout, read throughout over and over and over the scriptures, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of David, son of David. And it could have been the son of Saul, the line of Saul, the kingdom of Saul. It would be Saul that everyone would remember. It would be Saul that the kingdom would be established forever had Saul chosen to pursue God with his heart and to do what was right instead of trying to instead of choosing to obey God pursuing his what he trying to accomplish things on his own in other words not trusting God not doing what what God says is right not not choosing to obey God not choosing to love God from the heart and so that's really important and then it goes on in the very next verse, he goes to explain by saying, the Lord has found a man after his own heart. And that's the difference between Saul and David. So let's, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a minute, but let's, let's continue on. He saw, I mean, Samuel said a little bit later in, verse, in chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than that, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And so when confronted by his sin... When, when Saul was confronted by Samuel over his sin, this is what he did. He, Samuel came to Saul, said, what have you done? This is not right. You shouldn't have done this. And Saul, instead of repenting, just made excuses. 
He made excuses. So when Saul was confronted with his sin, he didn't own up to his sin. He didn't grieve over his sin. He justified his sin. He made excuses for his sin. And so we see um, he, he lied. Uh, Saul was supposed to, to, to go into this uh, enemy nation and he was supposed to destroy everything, but instead they, they took everything that was good for themselves. They, they looted it and brought everything back for themselves. And then when confronted with it, Saul lied and said, oh, we just brought all these good sheep and cattle and all these different things. We brought these to sacrifice to God. Uh, it, the scripture says he lied about that. Um, but then when confronted with that, uh, Samuel, Samuel said these words. He said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than that than the fat of rams. And so we see a very clear picture here of God's heart is that God is not looking for us to just keep on sinning and then asking him to forgive us. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm sorry, forgive me. And then, and, and not actually grieve over our sin, not actually turn from our sin, not actually repent, but just keep on living in sin and justifying our sins. And, and then just asking, asking God to forgive us. That's our today's form of sacrifice. And God saying, no, I'm not looking for sacrifices. I, I, I don't want sacrifices. I want you to obey me to begin with. I want you to do what's right. I want you to turn your heart to me. I want you to love me. I want your love and obedience to me more than I want your sacrifices for not obeying me. For to obey God is more pleasing to him than to perform sacrifices or or ask forgiveness after we disobey God. See, the, the difference is the heart. And that's what we see with Saul and David, that David was a man after God's own heart that it was genuine, it's a genuine yearning of love for God from the heart, something that Saul did not have and something that David did. So if we jump forward, 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7 says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. And so what's going on here is, is God has told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and that he was going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king because he had rejected Saul as king and he had chosen another after his own heart as king. And it was Samuel's job to go and anoint him as king. So God told him to go to this house and that it was going to be one of Jesse's sons that he would anoint as king. And so he invited him, Jesse and all his sons to this feast in order to anoint him as king. And so when they showed up, he, he brought him his first oldest born son, which would have normally been the one um, who had received uh, a double share of the inheritance. And, and um, his name was Eliab. And when Samuel saw Eliab, he immediately believed that he was going to be the king that he would anoint. And so when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord 
sees the heart. And that is where we see that God has chosen David. He eventually gets to to David. And God says, this is the one I've chosen. See, God said that humans see outwardly. We see the outward appearance. We don't see what God can see. What God sees is the heart. And he chose his next king, not based on outward appearance, but based on the heart. And so that's why he rejected Saul. And that's why he didn't choose any of David's older brothers, even though David was the youngest. He chose David because of his heart. We see that David went on. He was by no means more moral. He was not the most righteous person in the world. Um, We look at Saul's sins and we look at David's sins and and you can't necessarily say that one was was greater than the other because even though we see Saul... uh, performing sacrifices that only the priest was allowed to perform and and by taking things that God told him not to take and disobeying God's commands. David, on the other hand, he ends up committing adultery and he ends up murdering the husband in order to cover up his adultery. Um, David is, is sins just as, as, as bad, if not worse, than Saul. But the difference is when Saul is confronted with his sins, Saul does not repent. He does not grieve over his sins. He does not change. He, he justifies and makes excuses for his sins. Whereas David, um, when he was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan, David did grieve over his sin. He did repent and he did change. And so that's what God is looking for. David meant it from the heart because he loved God and pursued God from his heart that when he was confronted with his sin, that, and he, had grie- he grieved over his sin. And he grieved over his sin before that. Um, but he, uh, he, he repented of his sin, whereas Saul would not. And so David ended up writing Psalm 51, talking about this very thing, um, talking about his sin and, and his desire to be forgiven of his sin. Let's read some of those verses. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12, says this. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil thing in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely, you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me 
by giving me a willing spirit. So we see David was truly repentant from his heart. He truly wanted to be forgiven. And what he asked for, he asked to be forgiven. But what we see from his true heart and sincerity in his, in his plea for forgiveness, what he asked for after he asked to be forgiven, was he asked, if we jump back to verse 10, it says, God, create a clean heart for me within. In other words, clean me on the inside because I know that the sin that I commit comes from within me. It, it, James says that, that we, we sin when, when we go after our own evil desires, when we give in to our own evil desires. It's within us. It's within us, our flesh, who we are to desire to sin. And David knew that, and he asked to be made new inside. He said, give me a new, a clean heart in me. And then he said, renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, give me steadfastness to follow you, to obey you, to stick with you, to turn from sin, to flee from sin. Give me what I need to be diligent and faithful. And then he goes on to say, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And so he says to, to, to give me a, a spirit that is willing to obey you, that wants to obey you. And, and that's, that's where we see his genuineness in his plea. And we see that's actually exactly what God does when we decide to repent from the heart to God. That when, we, when we're genuine in our choice to turn from sin, that God actually does bring within us a new spirit, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and change our spirit, to make us new, and to give us that what we need to be able to faithfully obey Him. Let's look at some of those verses. Ezekiel, this is Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, God promised that one day, He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So even in the Old Testament, God promised that that he was going to make Israel new, that he was going to restore them. And what he was going to do one day is that he was going to put his own spirit within them that he was going to take their heart of stone, take it out and give them a heart of flesh. He was going to change them on the inside. And he, through his Holy Spirit within them, was actually going to cause them to follow his statutes and commands. That his Holy Spirit would enable them and change them and give them the ability and the desire to actually want to obey, to choose to obey and follow God and live as as He would live on earth. And that's a beautiful, beautiful promise and a beautiful hope to look forward to that God would actually change us on the inside, make us new. So let's look at some more of those verses. Paul said to the Philippians, he said in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he said, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God 
who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so Paul tells the Philippians, hey, look, you know, just as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so Paul continues this idea that God's Spirit working in you gives you what you need to change your will, to change your desire, to change you to want to obey him and to actually do in a, do what he's called us to do. Peter said at Pentecost, a verse that I quote often, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So we see that Peter makes this promise that if we would repent, and this is genuine repentance from the heart, we mean it. It's not just lip service. It's not this outward thing. It's, it's sincere. He said, if we would repent, that God would honor that, that God would, would, would take his spirit and place it within us, that we would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And that he, and that promise is not just for us, but it's for all to come. So 2,000 years later, when we are talking about this today, the promise is for us as well. It says the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And that promise is extended to you and to me today. That if we would turn from our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ as our only hope of salvation, that He would come within us through the Holy Spirit, that He would come to live within us, change us, make us new, and change our desires and will and give us the ability and the desire to, to obey Him and to, to live out the kingdom the way that He would want us to live it. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Paul said, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. It is so clear that he says here that you, it says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is from God, who is in you, and that you were bought at a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ, that he sacrificed himself, that he could have prevented it. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it, and he chose to endure it in order to, for us to be forgiven, that he stood in our place so that we could be forgiven and, and be viewed as, as his righteousness. And that's the offer of forgiveness he's offering to you and to me and to everyone that we know, that he has made a way for us to be forgiven so that he can come to live within us and make us into a new creation. He goes on to, we look again uh, in Second Corinthians Five seventeen through six two. What we're going to see here is that this this change is real. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. 
Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. This passage started off by saying that we are a new creation. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and see the new things have come. See, it's a real change. It's not a, it's not a made-up change. It's not something that you have to work really hard to accomplish. It's a real real change. Why? Because there's a real Holy Spirit of God who really comes within to live within you and really changes your will and really changes who you are inside to cause you to want to obey Him, to want to follow Him. Why? Because you love Him. You love Him so much and you recognize, even though we may not understand how and why every single thing He said, why He said it, how it all works, we may not understand everything, but we understand enough at the beginning to realize that what He's told us is actually good. What He's commanded us is actually good. And then the longer we live this life and the more that we walk through this life and the more that we read His Scripture, the more we're able to see and the more we're able to understand why it is that all of these things that he said are actually good, that God is good and that he loves us and that he has not commanded us to do certain things um, for his own benefit. He's not just using us as pawns. He's not using us as servants, but he actually loves us. He loves us as sons and daughters, that he loves us as family. And he is offering that forgiveness and that opportunity for him to come and live within us He's offering that to you and to me every day. And he's offering that to all of those who know, that we know. And he has said that he has given that ministry of reconciling the world to himself. He's given that ministry to us because he has desired to reconcile all of the people on earth to himself, to be reconciled and in right relationship. And he's given that ministry to us that we are to share that word and share that message with the world to be reconciled to God and that we are to live obediently and we are to love God from our heart genuinely and that when we sin, that we would grieve over our sin and that we would repent of our sin and turn from our sin and know that God is faithful to forgive us of our sin if we will confess it and turn from our sin. And that because he's a loving God, and that he doesn't he doesn't eventually just turn his back on us if we if we make too many mistakes or fail too many times. That's why he came to to die for us because he loves us. There is no one too far gone that they cannot turn back to God. There is no one that has 
done, committed so much sin in their life that they can't turn from sin and follow God today. Even if just for the next few hours, if, if they're going to die today, they could still turn right now. You can still turn to God right now if you turn to Him from your heart. But pay, but, but pay very careful attention to the difference between the first and second king, which is why God chose these two. That The first king was chosen based on outward appearance, and Saul, he was, he was the one based on outward appearance, but outwardly won't save you. Doing things for God outwardly don't, doesn't count. To, 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 to go to church because that's what God says we should do, to go to church or to join a church or to do all of these things that, that, you, that you think that God wants us to do, to live a relationship with Him outwardly doesn't count. The heart, the inside, you have to mean it. That's what counts. And so no amount of good that you can do will grant you entrance into the kingdom of God. You must inwardly turn from your sin, repent, and believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the only way that you can be forgiven in order to receive that salvation. And so God has offered that to us freely. And we see a picture of this on the thief on the cross. Um, the scripture says that when Jesus was crucified, that there were two, uh, two men that were crucified, one on his right and one on his left. The scriptures say that they both mocked him to begin with, but then the scriptures say that one of them repented, one of them turned and turned to Jesus, and he rebuked the other, the other man and then turned to Jesus and asked Jesus if he would remember him when he entered his kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so Jesus said, today, today, when you die, and when I die on this cross today, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus affirmed that he was forgiven, and he was being crucified. And so we know that, that there is nothing that, that... He was crucified for, for not being a good man. He was crucified for being a very, very bad man. But, he had a genuine turn of repentance from his heart on that cross. He saw how Jesus was being treated, and he saw how Jesus was responding. And he believed the words that were being said. He saw, he saw that Jesus was responding with love and forgiveness and compassion to the same men that nailed him to the cross that nailed the, the, the other man to the cross. And he knew in his heart he couldn't forgive these men. So he knew there was something very different about this man, Jesus, who still showed love and compassion and forgiveness for these men, for these Roman soldiers. And it was through seeing Jesus that he came to believe. And he had no opportunity to make things right. He had no opportunity to live a good life after that. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I'm, t I'm asking you to be reconciled to God today. I'm asking you to give your life to God today. That it doesn't matter how, how much sin you've done in the past. If you genuinely in your heart choose that you will follow God, that you love Him, that you will turn from sin, and that you will turn to God, He will honor that and He will forgive you, even if today is your last day on earth. But do not put it off. Because you do not know how long you will live. None of us do. 
about 150,000 people die every single day of all ages, all ages, from infants to those who are over 100, all ages. But the, the, we always tend to think that we will die when we get old, that we won't die yet. And so we always tend to put these types of things off because we know that making this type of decision will cost us. But I'm telling, and it will cost you. It will cost you in some way in your life. It will cost you having to give up sin that you don't want to give up. Or it may even cost you um, relationships with your family. Maybe, maybe you're in another religion and if you convert to Christianity, maybe you know that your family will abandon you. There, there are so many ways that it will cost you to follow Christ and to follow God. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the amount that it will cost you does not come anywhere close to comparing to what you will receive, the kingdom of God forever, that you will be adopted as his son or daughter, that you will spend eternity on a new earth, on a new planet with no sin, no pain, no suffering, with the God who loves you and made you and created you and placed you on this earth. That does not compare to any amount of pain or suffering or cost that we have to face on this earth. And to reject God will cost us so much more than what it's going to cost us on this earth to embrace Him. Because we will be separated from Him forever in hell. We will be punished forever because we rejected the one who gave us life, gave us breath, gave us existence, who loved us, who gave his son for our forgiveness, who did everything so that we can be forgiven, and who asked nothing in return but to give our hearts to him. That he put no stipulations of how much time that you had to live a Christian life. He put no stipulations on, on how you had to do more good than you did bad. He, 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 didn't, he, just, he just gives it to us freely if we would just turn to him from our hearts and mean it and be genuine. And if we reject that, then we will have to face the consequences of our own decisions. We will have to pay for our own sins. We will have to be punished and separated from Him forever because we don't deserve to be with Him forever. We don't deserve to, to be given all of His blessings and to spend eternity with Him in a perfect place forever if we reject Him and reject all that He's done for us. And so I'm begging you and I'm pleading with you, don't reject Him. Don't reject the grace of God. Don't reject the free gift of His love to you. But embrace Him. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Love Him from your heart. Be like David. Be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Pursue Him. Pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Because He has been pursuing you from the day that He placed you on this earth. And He does not want you to leave this place without knowing that you are going to spend eternity with Him forever. I don't want you to not know. I want you to make that decision. I want you to know that you have been reconciled to God. And so I beg you, if you have not made that decision, to make that decision right now. Mean it from your heart. Tell God that I'm sorry, that I know I've sinned. I know that I'm guilty, but I ask you to forgive me. I, I, I commit to you that I will turn from sin. I, I will repent. I will turn from sin and follow you and love you from my heart and follow you the rest of my life. God loves you. I love you. And I want to know that one day when I leave this place, when my time on earth here is done, that I will see you in heaven, that we will spend eternity together 
starting off in heaven until the end of time. And then when God comes and puts an end to this world, that he will recreate the world and then we will live on the new earth with him. I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to eat at the table with you. I want to live life with you forever. Perfect life. A beautiful life. I'm looking forward to that. And I look forward to sharing a glimpse of that with you now on this earth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, your scripture is clear how much you love us. Father, we see this free gift that you've given to us if we would just accept it. Father, we, we, I, I, I ask specifically that if anyone is, is ready to make that decision to turn from sin and to trust you, to trust you for their salvation, to trust you for their forgiveness, to trust you with their life, I pray that they would make that decision right now. That they would find the courage and the strength to make that decision. It's not a one-time decision. It is a lifelong decision. It's not a, I'm going to make this decision right now and then go back to life as, as usual. It's a, no, I'm going to make a decision that's going to change and alter and affect the course of my life forever. Father, I pray that they would mean it from their heart and that they would choose to submit themselves to you as their king, and that you would adopt them into your kingdom forever. Father, I pray that if there's anyone who's on the fence, and, and they, they may be willing to make that decision, but they have some questions, and, and they're just not ready yet. Father, I pray that you would give them the desire and, 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 and restlessness, that you would not quit tugging on their heart, that you would not quit drawing them, that they would quickly, quickly, today even, reach out to someone, even me. They can email me at yatesfieldbaptistchurch at gmail.com. But to reach out and to say, look, this is my dilemma, this is my struggle, and, and, and I, need, I, need, I need somebody to talk to before I'm willing to make this decision. Father, I pray that they would resolve whatever that issue may be today. Because we do not know what tomorrow holds. And Father, for all of those who have made the decision to follow you, all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, I pray that you would continue to give us a steadfastness of our spirit to follow you faithfully. Father, I pray that you would continue to to shape us and mold us into your image. And Father, I pray that you would continue to help us to do what you've called us to do. We know that in your scripture you've shown that you will give us everything that we need, but it is still up to us to do it. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us that strength, that courage, that wisdom, and that love to live the way you've called us to live. Father, we love you. And Father, we will never, ever, ever be able to thank you enough for your love for us, but we will continue to thank you. Father, continue to guide this church and and bless this church to make us more of a kingdom force on this world, that we would push the kingdom of God forward and we would push the kingdom of Satan back. We need you, Father, and we thank you for your promise to be with us until the end of the age. When Jesus is holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I pray that you will have an awesome, awesome week. 
and I look forward to seeing or hearing from you next Sunday.